Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Elizabeth Barnett-Lawton, and I'll be interviewing some of the industry's most inspiring talent for the British Beauty Council's Career Insights podcast series. Looking back on the last two decades of my own career as a magazine journalist and a university lecturer, it was having the opportunity to interview thought leaders, celebrities and entrepreneurs that has been one of the greatest highlights. I'm just as fascinated today in speaking to the great minds and personalities behind industry figures as I was reading about them as a student. Hearing someone's story, a shared experience from someone who's made it in their chosen field, can provide much needed inspiration for anyone seeking a path to a fulfilling career. This is why the British Beauty Council are providing special access into the careers of inspirational beauty industry leaders exclusively for our members. So whether you're a student or perhaps you're thinking of a career change, we think our Career Insights podcast series featuring some of the UK's best talent could be the vital boost to your dreams and motivation. For me, and I hope for you too, the podcast series is a fascinating insight into the lives of some of Britain's biggest beauty success stories. Welcome to the show. Adam Chatterley is the chair of the UK Spa Association and the founder of Salon Business Secrets, a website, podcast and coaching business for spa and salon professionals. His over 20 years experience working with some of the world's leading hotels, spas, salons and gyms, including some of the biggest names in hospitality, Virgin Active, Four Seasons and Hilton. With a background in business management, Adam has worked with over 400 spas in 27 countries, successfully helping spas to start up, attract the right clients and increase their profitability. And now, with Salon Business Secrets, he's just as thrilled to help smaller independent salons achieve success. To learn more about how to grow a salon or spa business, you can tune into his podcast at beautybusinesspodcast.com. But for now, I hope you enjoy the story of his career and insights into opportunities in the spa industry. And I'm really excited to talk to him today. Okay. Hello, Adam. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited to be talking to you today about your career. And you are the chair of the UK Spa Association. I am, yes. You are? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope you still are, given everything that we've been through in the last year, but now back open for business. Yeah. Um, and also the founder of Salon Business Secrets. Um, yes. So perhaps you can tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So I mean, we'll probably get into this as, as part of the discussion, but a few years ago, I decided to switch away from working with the corporates uh, to more the independent beauty business owners. Um, and I started up, it was, it was kind of a side hobby at the time, just a, an advice website uh, that I called Salon Business Secrets, just to kind of share some of the lessons that I'd learned working with the larger spas and trying to kind of bring those to the the smaller businesses who, who I felt at the time probably needed it more. Realized I actually loved helping smaller businesses more because I was able to get bigger results quicker. Um, so kind of over the next few years turned it into my thing. I took a coaching qualification. So I now work as a uh, business coach in the industry, focusing on the sort of the smaller beauty business owners. And um, and yeah, so I now run the number one podcast for the industry, uh, the Beauty Business Podcast. And uh, we've recently just launched a membership to uh, help more and more beauty business owners to actually get the foundational, boring, businessy stuff right in their business to help them do what they love doing and, and grow and, uh, and take all that stress away from them. That's fantastic. And for anyone listening that has a small business, it's well worth tuning in to your podcast to get those sort of tips. Um, so 
I, I also know that you worked, you've worked with over 240 spas across 27 countries, uh, just to big you up a bit. So yeah, you have... I think, I think we, we got to 400 and 450 something actually. In really? the, yeah, we, uh, we did that. This was, this was a couple of years ago. We did an interview for a magazine and, and they'd actually asked me to try and work it all out and couldn't come up with the exact number, but I think I got to over 400 in 27 different countries that I'd, I'd specifically worked with one-to-one. -one. So uh, wow. yeah. And include and including sort of the, the biggies like the Four Seasons and the Hilton, so some really premium sort of spas yeah. and, yeah, and the was, whole spa experience. Definitely, I was out in Dubai uh, when really Dubai started to take off in terms of spas, and I was working with the Jumeirah Group there at the time to um, to really help launch some of their very first ones over there. And obviously now they're they're huge and global. Yeah, and they they have some really incredible luxury spas in Dubai, don't they? It's so good to be able to then give that sort of knowledge to a smaller business what what sort of things would you would you sort of help with a, with a smaller business yeah it, it took a while to sort of find exactly the, the the thing that i feel most comfortable talking about because i think anyone who kind of goes into business advice kind of on the web and therefore not directly one-to-one -one. i still work with some people one-to-one -one, but you're kind of putting a lot of stuff out there and not necessarily getting the feedback so there's a temptation to try and cover everything. I very quickly realized that uh, there are certain things that I know a lot about and, and feel very comfortable talking about. Um, and there are certain things like, for example, staffing and stuff that doesn't really light my fire. Therefore, I don't feel like I can, you know, pass that on as, as well to others. So I tend to talk about, and I always joke that I talk about the boring businessy things, but I tend to talk about price and how to price your treatments properly. I tend to talk about how to actually get the clients that you want but also automate that process. So you're not constantly on that hamster wheel of having to get the clients that you want to get. You just kind of put those foundations in place and they consistently brings things in. I talk about the systems. I talk about the KPIs. I kind of talk about the things that kind of every business owner knows they need, but certainly in this industry, most people don't really want to focus on. So I try and put those into a kind of paint by numbers, step-by-step -step process so that you can just follow them knowing that you're going to get the results you're going to get so that people can then focus on doing the things they love doing in their business. And you have a, a business background, don't you? So can you tell me sort of how you made the leap initially from, from a, a sort of business background into the world of beauty and spa? Oh, it's, it, it's, uh, I'll try and give you the short story if I can. I can go on for hours, but I'll, I'll try and give you the short story. So my background is actually um, in economics. I'm, uh, my degree is in economics and computer science. And randomly, whilst I was at university, I was working at uh, a local country club with a golf club. And uh, I finished university and I think like a lot of kind of management economic students at the time, I didn't really fully know what I wanted to do. Um, and I was going to all these interviews with these big management consultancies like Pricewaterhouse and Capgemini and all that. And I was in this, I remember, I still to this day, remember sitting in that room, you know, wearing a suit for sort of the first time, feeling very awkward and uncomfortable, but in a room full of 300 other people also wearing suits for the first time, feeling very awkward and uncomfortable and just thinking, I, this is not what feels like I want to be doing. So so I, kind of, I just kind of went down that route because it's sort of what you're supposed to do. But I, I distinctly remember I was working at this golf club and um, whilst I'm terrible at golf, but my job was to actually help recruit members. Um, this guy joined one day and would just one of my jobs was to play the first round of golf with them and introduce them to other members and kind of make them feel at home. And uh, we were just chatting halfway around and he said, oh, you know, what, what do you want to do? And so I've just finished university and it's like, what do you want to do? No idea. Um, but it turns out he owned a software company that built software systems for um, golf clubs. So they did all the kind of the tea times and the membership and all that kind of thing. And uh, he was based fairly locally. And he said, well, actually, it's really interesting. We have this software company, but we're just full of 
technical people. None of us have ever worked in a golf club. What would be really handy is if we had someone who understood golf, but also business and also a little bit about computers. So I thought, well, this sounds interesting. So I ended up going and working for them. And this was in the year 2000, it was 1999, uh, but very quickly. And they, and this company worked with a lot of the big hotel uh, companies, resort companies that had these golf clubs. And at that time, a lot of them were starting to open up these new things called spas. And uh, they were very quickly asked to start producing software systems to help these golf courses and hotels run these spas and they didn't know anything about it. So I was dispatched to a spa for about three months to go and kind of understand how they worked and essentially come back and teach the developers what the software needed to do to be able to manage and run spas. So that's basically how I got into it. And from there kind of never looked back and I love the industry. I love how friendly and cooperative and everything it is. And, and so I've, I've changed exactly what I do in the industry over the years. Uh, I've, worked and lived in many places, but I've never had any desire to want to leave the industry because I love it so much. I can I can see how golf would be a really good stepping stone because that's concerned sort of the, the leisure side of what, yeah. what a hotel offers. Usually that's a little bit, you know, guys could play golf and women play, uh, go to the spa, but obviously there's some crossover too and you might do both. And presumably there's been some development in spa where you're developing treatments and an offer that's for men and women now or even couples and all that sort of thing yeah so what's been the biggest change in spa in the time that you've been working in it goodness me i think probably the um it's probably happened quite recently actually and it's it's been the well i'd say this no they say there's two things that when spa first started out it it seemed to think it was some brand new thing that no one had ever done before in terms of the business side of things. And it took a long time to learn some of the lessons from its sister organizations like health and fitness clubs, like golf, like those other things. And it, it sort of tried to forge its own way from a business point of view, rather than just learning from the lessons that had kind of gone before. Um, and I think it took a good few years before they realized, actually, there's, there's a lot we can learn from our sister industries. So I think it took a while for the businessy side of spa to really kind of kick in. So that's, that was definitely a big change. And it's often been a very slow adopter of technology as well. Um, so even though I came into it working with software, uh, it was only at the time, the very big spas that were really embracing software to help them manage their, their business. And, you know, even, even in the last few years, I've spent a lot of time trying to convince people to move away from pen and paper to actually using software and systems in their businesses to, to help leverage uh, the power of the technology that we have now. And, and you know, that's one thing over the last year that we've seen that, you know, technology has has allowed us to keep doing a lot of the things that we couldn't do before. So that's probably one big change. Um, and I'd say the other thing from, from spas themselves and how they operate is the demand for results-based treatments now. I think for a long time, spa was seen by the general public as um, a bit of a treat, a bit of a go and just kind of relax and chill out for a day. Whereas people have started to wise up to the fact that there are, are genuine health and well-being benefits that can be had from uh, visiting a spa regularly. And I think people are waking up to that now, again, probably heightened by what's gone on in the last year uh, and everyone's wellness and, and the fact that we really value that, you know, time both for ourselves, but also relaxed time with other people as well. So I do, I think it's gone through a number of changes. But for me, those would be the two big things, the, the sort of embracing of the business and technology side and also what clients are actually looking for from spas. Right. And, and 
presumably there, there were a lot of changes in the period of, of uh, the pandemic in that year. Um, well, obviously things were sort of closed yeah. and now they're open again. Yeah. Are there now changes in place, do you think, that that will stay? Has that um, made a huge difference to, to how it's offered the PPE, health and safety, yeah. all of that sort of thing? Do you think that's going to stay? Well, I think I think it caused um, it caused a lot of people within the industry to actually realise just how um, accidentally prepared that we were in terms of the level of hygiene that is already in place in a lot of spas. One thing that came out a lot is that um, we're very very good, or the spa industry is very very good at keeping levels of hygiene very very high, but keeping that away from clients and and not and almost doing it effortlessly so that clients don't realize about it. Now that's been flipped around where clients actually want to see it, want to know that that everything's been wiped down and, and everything has been sanitized after use. That's always happened, but we've done a very good job of making that quiet to it, you know, help them enjoy their stay. Now that's going to help them enjoy their stay by seeing it being done. So that's going to be a big shift that, that I think is going to be around for a while. Obviously, we're still going to have to deal with some level of restrictions in terms of number of clients that we can uh, have within a uh, an enclosed space within a spa for a period of time. I don't think that's necessarily going away anytime soon. But again, that's just going to mean we've got to innovate again. We're going to be able to have fewer people through the doors in any given period of time. So we're going to have to make sure that those people who are there are uh, valuing what they're there for enough. Um, we're going to have to make sure that they are generating enough revenue for the business to keep going in whatever way that it needs to keep going. Um, it's going to continue to have continuous knock-on effects, but I think it's a catalyst for change within the industry. And, and I just hope that we can embrace that and make it a positive catalyst for change. Yeah, indeed. And, and there's always been, um, not just the, obviously the, the hygiene issue is always there. Mm. And as you say, you're just going to be more transparent with that in order to put, um, clients at ease but there's always been um a, a sort of issue about the longevity of a of a therapist's career because it's quite um an intensive a giving physical job isn't it Absolutely, for the therapists yeah. that work within spa I've, I've often spent time working with the managers and the owners of spas but then training uh with a lot of the therapists themselves so i, I kind of maybe got to hear a level of um of feedback from therapists that, that didn't necessarily make it to the uh, the senior levels and and there was always this kind of tension between the amount of uh it's called different things but i refer to it as turnaround time so the time in between uh finishing with one client and, and seeing another and for a long time there was a drive by certainly spa managers and, and directors because of revenue levels and things to to minimize that as much as possible to get so that get that time between treatments down as as small as possible so that the therapists were were generating as much revenue as possible and and now that's almost been forced um to be a larger more significant amount of time because of the the hygiene and the cleaning that's got to be done mm -hmm. so so i think from a so good good for I think, therapists I think, I think it's good for therapists definitely it's, it's going to give them i mean depending on who ends up having to do that cleaning work not say, necessarily saying that they're going to um have extra time on their hands, but it's certainly going to break up the amount of time that they're spent physically with hands on uh, doing treatments, specifically if you're a massage therapist, which is incredibly demanding work. Um, Indeed, really demanding. Yeah. No, I think absolutely. the life expectancy or the career life expectancy of a therapist was actually shockingly low. You probably yeah, know imagine. better than me, but I think it, um, 
I, I went to a training and it was about a course and they told us it was about five years. Really? Wow. That's and they taught, me. yeah. And they taught techniques to use your body as you, rather than be rigid as you sort of used your arms to actually go with that motion yep. in order to avoid a sort of full body RSI, <laughs> you yeah. know, cause that that's what happens and that's what exhausts and you take on energy. And that's the thing that's quite hard to discuss with the business side of spa as a therapist to explain, actually, I sort of physically took on that energy of, of, you know, the clients that came in that day. And I think that's another reason for there being, it used to be, and I don't know what it is now, but it used to be a sort of roughly sort of 20 minutes between clients. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if, if there are any kind of guidelines for that with, with therapists. Um, there are no particular guidelines with it. And I think, I think 20 minutes would have been very generous actually previously really? to all this. Yeah. I think, I think it was probably down to around about five, yeah. uh, but, um, for in a lot of places, but now it's probably about 20 minutes. So, so just having that time, even if, even if you are the one doing the cleaning, yeah, having that time in between is going to give you that, that recharge time to be able to both physically recharge and, and like you say, mentally recharge, because this is something that's on a lot of people's minds at the moment. Clients have always come into whether it's a spa whether it's a, a, a salon or anything like that and and felt that they can kind of unload their problems onto the therapist whilst having the service that they're actually paying for and it's it's kind of got a bit out of control because people just almost save stuff up to bring with them because they they know that they're paying for your time in a way but they're not paying for your kind of counseling advice you know it's very rare that therapist is trained to do that to actually offer the right advice but also to take that on themselves um and it's certainly been a worry in my world because people clients are going to come back and my god they've had their years worth of struggle and and hardship and and stress and worry that they're going to just feel like they can dump onto their clients and not intentionally but they're going to do that mm. and you know so as well as when we start to go back and and you know see clients again a, it's going to be physically demanding, but it's going to be mentally demanding as well, because people are going to come along with all these potential horror stories that they've struggled through over the past 12 months. And that's, you know, that is a lot to take on board just to kind of have that in your head at the end of the day. But equally, you know, another thing as well is it, it's becoming very, uh, we're becoming very aware that we need to equip our therapists who are client facing with the ability to a protect themselves and their own energy from that, but also to recognize signs of when it's a bit more serious than that. And maybe they need to be making someone aware of someone's mental state. So it's, it's, there's, there's all sorts of things that are, that are coming out now that we're realizing that we need to both not only equip our therapists physically for the demanding job, but mentally as well. Well, that's good that if, if the leaders in the business are understanding yeah. these, you know, cause, because you need to have happy staff delivering it in order to have a sustainable business, don't you? To keep reta yep. retaining staff in any kind of salon or spa business must be like the number one factor in how you control your kind of business. Well, yeah, hundred percent. And we all know that there's an issue with staff as well. So, so keeping your staff, maintaining a ha healthy and happy staff who are able to work and love their job is, is yeah, is paramount to the success of any business. And who would you say in 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 your career has you've learned the most from? Who's been the sort of champion that you? really have learned a lot from you sent me that question it was a really that was probably the most difficult question to think of i have to say and it's it's very interesting i would never say that i was particularly a trailblazer but when i look back at my career i i sort of always have seemed to be at, at the forefront of the thing that i was doing at the time so i never really worked kind of under someone for for a period of time to to have that mentorship 
However, I always worked with the best people in the field at their time. So I learned from so many different people and, you know, people I was working with, managers I was working with, I learned as much from them as I was supposed to be passing on to them. I've had coaches over time who I've learned lots of different things from. But interestingly, I have to say, I think the person who, because I, I think the way you, you asked me the question in the notes was, you know, who's been your champion over the period of the time? And, you know, I have to say it's my dad. Um, my dad instilled this, this ethic in me of, um, you know, you can be a manager, you can lead people, but still put the people you're leading at the forefront of what you're doing. And if you do that, that will reward you in terms of having this incredibly loyal team or or tribal group of people that you're working with. And it will make you look good as well because they're all happy and they stay in their job. So, so yeah, my, my dad just really embodied for me that kind of ethic of it's, you know, it's, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And, and I, I really believe that. So I think throughout my entire career, my dad's often not understood what I was doing and why I was doing it, but he's very much been there as my rock to sort of say, actually, you know, as long as you're always leading from it from a point of helping people and leading people from wanting more for them and, and better for them then you can't really go far wrong I don't think that's so interesting it's such good such good advice for people in leadership to you know lead what we were just talking about that in in spa the staff are they're, they're the business aren't they yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's, there's a number of different books, leaders, leaders eat last, um, and a couple of others as well, where, you know, it's, it's often portrayed that the leader should be the one at the front, the leader should be the one, um, you know, taking the big risks and everything like that, where actually, often you're the one gently at the back, just making sure everyone who is leading the organization is, or is fronting the organization is, is happy and is loving what they're doing. And if they're doing that, that's the view that people have of your business. That's the view of the, of your client face. Then you're just going to look amazing because if your staff are happy, your clients are happy, you've got a happy team, you've got a happy business that's making lots of money and, you know, you should be doing well as well. That's exactly right. And I always think, you know, as a manager, if things aren't working right, the manager needs to look at themselves because it's always. their responsibility. Always. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you're so in any managerial role, yeah, it's, you are, you have the responsibility and also the response ability as well. This is something I, I also uh, teach is you have the ability to respond in any number of ways. And if a, a member of staff brings you a problem, yes, you can respond with frustration and all sorts of different things, but you are in charge of how you respond to that. And if you can respond to that with caring and with compassion and with understanding, you're always going to lead, you're always going to have an amazing team. Absolutely. And and when you look back through your career, what would you say were the key uh, sort of moments that you're most proud of? Um, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think <laughs> I had, I'd have to point to probably two key ones for me. And one was when I decided to set up my own company when I was the, the stupid and arrogant age of 26. And uh, I think it was looking back at it, it was definitely youthful arrogance. I, at the time I was I was working for a consultant for a, um, uh, a business. I was employed um, and I just decided, you know, that I love what I do, but I can do this myself. I don't need a company around me. Um, and that was incredibly arrogant of me at the time. But uh, I am glad I took that decision because I think if I were to have done that later in life when I had, you know, more commitments, you know, I'm, I, right now I'm a dad, I've got two kids and a wife and a cat. Um, and if I was to take that risk now, I don't think I'd do it. Um, so to be young and to be a bit arrogant and a bit stupid and to just go, do you know what? I'm going to just do this on my own. And 
so that was that i'm kind of proud of that just for for doing that but then probably for actually making it work and not uh and not completely screwing it up but then the second one i would say is is that um that time i mentioned about five years ago now where i'd been doing the same thing for a long period of time i was working with big corporates i was working with the likes of uh, Virgin Active and Nuffield and a couple of other big hotel chains and Orient Express. And I just kind of got a bit frustrated with the whole way that corporate business worked. And what I found was things were taking longer and longer to happen. And I get that this is the nature of any big organization, you know, that you've got levels to work through, you've got different uh, stakeholders to bring in. But I, I genuinely remember a time, I won't mention the organization, but we were seven meetings into a project. And between meetings one and seven, they'd made half of the project team redundant. Uh, so meeting seven was almost a rehashing of meeting one. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I understand about myself that I get a kick out of getting results. And at the moment, I'm just showing up to meetings and not getting anything done. And whilst it's nice that they were happy to pay me money for that, um, I thrive on actually getting results. So it was it was that realization that made me think, how can I... How can I do what I do, but actually get results quicker? And that's when I started working with the independents and seeing that I could do a, such a quicker turnaround to actually look at their businesses and help them figure out what they needed to do and then teach them what to do and get the results. It often within weeks, whereas working with big corporates, you were months in before you'd even got near deciding what you were actually going to do. So that those two pivotal moments, really starting my own company and and making that shift to working with independence are, are two of the key standout points for me, I think. And what advice would you give to your younger self? Are you really happy just with how it's gone? It's all gone swimmingly. It does um, sound like it's gone pretty swimmingly. It's not gone swimmingly. There, I mean, there have been, I've, I've obviously, you remember the high points, there have been some there have been some big struggles and challenges along the way. So I think I, I made some notes on this and I would say, follow your heart and don't be afraid to do different things or to do things differently. Um, and in, I would say, if if you feel that in any way that you want to try something different or try something in a different way, I would actually say, as long as it's not reckless, run towards it, do that thing. You know, don't be held back because no one's done it before or everyone does it a certain way, you know, as long as you've kind of done your due diligence and you've looked into it and it's it's safe and sensible to do so, I would say embrace that and run towards it because one of the biggest things you don't want to have, you don't want to have regrets. You don't want to, I'd rather have regrets of something I tried and failed than think, you know, what if? So don't be put off by someone having always done something the same way and feeling you need to do the same thing. Um, and equally, I would say to myself younger, you know, stop doing things when you no longer, where they're no longer bringing you joy or you no longer have passion for them. Because I think, and, and this is a big mistake I've made, I, I took a lot longer to change the things that I did, knowing that I wasn't happy before I actually did them. And I do think, I think a lot of us do that. We, we put up with things for a lot of different reasons. We don't wanna make too big changes because there are risks. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, I've, I have been, very lucky and blessed. The things that I've eventually done have worked out through whatever strife they have. But I do think, you know, what if I'd made that jump at the point that I started to think I should have done it rather than leaving it the six months, year, two years until I actually did, you know, what would have happened then? Where would I be then? Um, and that's, that's really the two things for me. So follow your heart. Don't be afraid to do things differently and stop doing things when they no longer bring you joy or you no longer have a passion for it.
I think that's so important, actually. And it's really nice to speak to you that you've been reflective about that. And that's the sort of conclusion you've come to, because actually careers are part of our lives as human beings. They're not really yeah. entirely separate from our lives as human beings, are they? And not if, you don't, if you don't enjoy it, then you're not going to progress as a human being and then no. bring that light and joy to other people that you're working with. Not at all. And I think I, I forget, maybe it was Steve Jobs who said, you know, if you can find if you can find a job that brings you joy, you'll never work a day in your life or something like that. I'm very good at butchering quotes at the moment, but it was something along those lines. It was <laughs> it was very much if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And, you know, I, I think the point where you're not wanting to get out of bed and go do your job because it's your job is probably a warning sign to, you know, try something different. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a whole different thing. Like I said, I've I've stayed in this industry. I've done now various different roles, a lot, very much along the same line. I still kind of help businesses um, more with their business foundations, which is ultimately what I've done for the last 20 years. I've just done it in slightly different ways. And now, given the fact we can do this over the internet and I can train people uh, over the internet and run group coaching courses through the membership, I can now spend the same amount of time as I would have spent working with one client and help hundreds of people. So leveraging technology doing it that way that's what brings me that joy i still get to do the same thing which i love but i now get to do it for even more people at the same time so yeah it's it's stop doing the things that that don't bring you joy how can you even make a small shift um but to get that joy and passion back in your life because you spend too long uh, in your career not to love what you do precisely and what what advice would you give to somebody that was perhaps looking to get into a, a career in spa um, perhaps spa management? Um, I would say, uh, I'd probably say, you know, don't, for, for the very first thing, do not think that it is a easy path at all. This is a, it's a tough industry, but it is an incredibly fun industry with so many opportunities. And equally, it's a lot of outsiders look at the industry and think, you know, there's only there's only one career path. Usually it's, you know, therapist to spa manager to maybe spa director. And, and that's kind of where it stops. Whereas, you know, there, there aren't. I've known spa directors go on to uh, be hotel managers, hotel chain managers in charge of recruitment, in charge of huge departments, um, gone on, been consultants on their own, help design spas, help craft wellness uh, opportunities for big hotel groups. There are people I know who've gone on to work with huge organizations and be in charge of their wellness for those organizations. There's, it's filtering through into every other industry now is what happens in the spa industry because of the whole wellness phenomenon and, and everything like that. So there are untold opportunities from the jumping point of a career in the beauty industry. And what's exciting for me is, like I said, all the different paths that you can go down from starting out in, in this industry and, and what you'll learn and, and what's potentially on offer in here. Because the one thing that is going to happen is the wellness phenomenon is only going to spread even further. Um, and, and really, I think the world is your oyster. You can work in anything. I mean, I'm an economist, for heaven's sake, and I've worked in the beauty industry for 20 years and still gotten away with it. So, you know, if I can manage that, then, you know, what can anyone else do? It's good to know that clearly the, the spa and wellness aspect of um, a, a, a larger hotel or a resort business must be well respected. And it, presumably it's also, um, you know, quite a significant revenue offering, you know, a good amount of money for them to recognize that because parts of the beauty industry where if you're part of a business when there, there are other categories that you're not as well respected because it's deemed to be fluffy. 
yeah and this is a big problem that we're dealing with still hugely in the spa world um it, it's always seen in any organization where they say uh we said earlier on a hotel uh, a food and beverage operation a golf course and a spa generally speaking the spa is always seen as the poor relation um and there's a there's a number of uh, of reasons for that i think previously until we had excellent quality managers you know for a long period of time there was no um specific training for spa managers um they could only generate the revenue that they could generate. Now we've got the actual processes and systems in place and it's been shown what Spark can do. You know, I've worked with a number of organizations where when I started working with them, yes, it was the it was the poor relation because it was generating the lowest amount of money. I've then got them up to being the second biggest revenue within that yeah. industry, only below the main thing that, that industry did. So below room revenue or below fitness revenue, whatever that business was. But yeah, Spark absolutely should be seen as a 100% main revenue driver. Yeah. And also, uh, I, I imagine that actually a lot of people that might even select the hotel or resort for the spa. Yep. So if there's a record yeah. of that, you know, then then they can appreciate that actually it's really, really important. And you, you can't have a five star hotel without spa almost. Now. No, you can't. I mean, it's it's the, the landscape's changed a little bit now, but I remember not that long ago. I think it was about five or six years ago where um, banks would only lend money to hotel operations for expansion work if they had a spa element in there so when when banks can recognize the importance of wellness for a hotel chain or something like that then i think we all need to sit up and take notice absolutely and and when you were talking about the the kind of pro the progression the career progression from spa manager all the way through to perhaps even being a hotel manager or director is there a potential for progression for someone that might might be working as a therapist but actually would quite like to get into management Hundred percent, yes, more than ever before. And for anyone who's in that position, I think the the number one thing you can do is make it clear to your managers that that is what your uh, your aim and your goal is, um, because I think a lot of managers don't necessarily realise that. Um, so if you've got a supportive manager who can actually help you on that path, you know that's that's a huge thing you can do. Um, but again, don't be limited by just thinking, okay, well. I can get to the hotel general manager and that's it. There are huge hotel organizations now that you can become, you know, regional development directors of uh, and anything. There Really, there is no ceiling to what you can become uh, as a spa director. Um, so, so yeah, I say go for it and, and don't, don't believe, don't believe there's any end to your career journey. Yeah. And, and for anyone perhaps a little bit younger as a, a, a you know, a starter, a career starter, if you will, um, perhaps somebody that's that's been to uh, done a beauty therapy course or, or spa management at university. What would be the best steps for them to make their first start? Is it to write to some of the the hotel groups, or would or perhaps write to um, some of the brands like Spa to, to sort of get, get their initial training? Um, I think first of all, you need to decide what your passion is. Um, because, you know, people come into the people, people go to, to college to do beauty training for all sorts of different reasons. Um, and, and I think it's the sort of a, a recognized ish career path. You either, yeah, uh, apply to work in a spa, if that's kind of more your thing or in a salon, if it's more about, um, just the treatment side, all sorts of different things. So I would, I would look at what your passion actually is, where you actually want to end up, what your, where you'd like to be, say five or 10 years down the line, and then make a decision based on that. Um, you know, I've had I've very recently worked with someone who's uh, gone through a, who was an excellent therapist who actually they went through a, um, a degree level spa management course 
um, and realized in there that while she loved therapy, uh, doing therapist and she loved the industry, that wasn't actually where her real passion was. Her passion was in uh, communications and particularly social media. So she's actually ended up going on to work for spa related brands, but in charge of their social media. So th there is no just one career path. You know, you can be a therapist, you can even do the, the degree to be a manager, but then really through doing that, you discover what it is. So there are all these huge suppliers and supply chain organizations all still within this industry but they all need marketing managers and social media managers and creative directors and uh photographers and all sorts of different things now so you can be in this industry and do whatever you want so that's another sort of area that has sort of evolved isn't it the social media aspect of oh hugely yes yes absolutely. It's so important because fitness spa health um, but as we draw the interview to a close, mm -hmm. what would be your sort of parting tips for anyone that perhaps might be wanting to have a career change late sort of mid career into spa? Is that something that that is possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and this is kind of what I was saying earlier on. Spa for a long time was very, uh, very insular and very um slow at learning from other organizations and I, I do think because it's growing and because it's getting ever bigger and and the prevailing wellness word keeps dropping into every conversation uh, around the world of spa and around the world of beauty you know you can 100 bring knowledge and experience and um you know your learnings from any other world and if you can bring them to the spa industry and adapt them it's only going to make the spa world the wellness world the beauty world even better and stronger and, and grow even more so so i do i think i think there are lots of skills that you can bring to the industry which is a wonderful industry that is just so friendly and, and a genuine community i work with a lot of people in other industries and you know they all talk about collaboration but i've never seen it as active and as real as as working in the industry that we work in with the level of of care that we all have for each other um so yeah i think it's a very caring industry so i would yeah say bring whatever skills you have from whatever other um, life journey you have and bring that to the industry and share it. And of course, the, the fantastic opportunity for being able to travel. Well, yeah, absolutely. That must I mean... be just so fantastic <laughs> to be able to get a job in, in a hotel. It, it could be in Australia, in Dubai, in Asia, all sorts of opportunities. Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I, it was never my goal. I never really wanted to travel with my job, but, but sort of accidentally, I ended up working in the Middle East for years and in America. Uh, and in South America and in India and China and various other places. Um, uh, so yeah, so even accidentally, you can end up traveling. Uh, so so yeah, huge, huge opportunity for it. Such a, it must be such an interesting career to have done all of those things um, and, and such a fantastic opportunity as well. Yeah, no, I, I truly feel blessed. I always say it was an accident I ended up in this industry, but I think it was meant to be because never once I wanted to leave it. Exactly. Thank you so much for, for speaking to me. I think that's going to be so interesting for all our listeners. Anyone that's wanting to get into spa or feeling like they need a bit of a boost at the moment uh, for their careers, but they've already started in, in the spa industry. Thank you very much, Adam. No, thank you very much for, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Careers Insights podcast. Episodes are released bi-weekly onto Acast, Apple, Spotify and the British Beauty Council member zone. You can also follow the British Beauty Council on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok and Clubhouse to stay updated with the latest news. Or if you'd like to contact us and find out more about becoming a member or patron, please email 
join me at britishbeautycouncil.com.